Hey, Luke, I'm having a great day. Nothing weird happening here. Oh, man, I'm so sorry, buddy. <laughs> Just so everyone knows, my wife and two oldest daughters, it's uh, 9.06 p.m. here. They're at the emergency room. It's pouring down rain because my daughter clocked her head on the bottom of her bunk bed and blood was everywhere and as a father i have never seen this much blood gushing forth from my kid and no matter how much water we poured on it and how much pressure we put just more blood and more blood and more blood so my wife took him to the hospital um emergency room we live we're so blessed we live four minutes from three literally world-class hospitals and uh and so shannon took him there and oh just it's so hard to get that idea out of your head you know of seeing your child's blood all over your hand yeah what's um (laughs) you don't have to answer this if you don't if you don't uh if you don't want to what's been the hardest thing as a parent that you've experienced like like your kids getting hurt what's been the thing that's like hurt the most like just for you that was the hardest thing to go through uh so my little noah buddy when he was like one and a half fell off a playset and broke his collarbone oh. and he's way too young to understand that uh cecilia had some respiratory issues so they have to breathe in you have to put a mask over them and they have to breathe in um the steroid treatment mm-hmm. and she was like maybe one and she doesn't understand anything all she knows is there's this huge mask going over my face and i hate life and i hate everyone and why is my daddy doing this to me and so that was hard um yeah so there's a lot of it is uh it's heartbreaking being a parent oh gosh the hardest part is they just don't understand anything yeah they can't you can't explain it they don't know what to expect they're just they're just scared and so yeah oh uh, well we'll continue to, to be praying for her man thank you she's gonna be fine she's at the nurse practitioner said that she's gonna get a um staple so my daughter's gonna have a staple in her head oh god this is like uh when you i mean to try to make this about me go on uh this is one of those things where like i really can't stand being this far this far away from people that i care about because if i was because of like because if you know i lived by you i would love to be able to say hey i'll come and hang out with you until until they're back or yeah you want to go i'll stay and hang out with, with all with all with all of the you know like i, I want to be able to like do more than just be like uh this sounds like more than just prayer but like you want to say like oh that sucks i'm so sorry i want to be able to you know get get concrete with it yeah and you can't watch my kids for me <laughs> all right kids let's watch gardens of the galaxy <laughs> kids uh we're gonna pick up right where your parents left off with uh daredevil <laughs> don't worry i haven't watched i'm a season two so we'll both be just as lost <laughs> you haven't watched season two season two is great i heard it was bad so and i started to that's and the I got punisher bored season Aaron doesn't like Daredevil all that much. I tried to in the beginning. Are so you serious? Yeah, Daredevil is the only the good one. I know, <laughs> and and I think that Netflix agrees. <laughs> yeah, we actually did get through maybe halfway through Jessica Jones, and Aaron was like, "Oh, this is awesome," and then she's like, "Oh, this should be resolved by now." <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> 
Jessica Jones is hard because it's very like season one of Jessica Jones is very rapey, right? Because it's about this guy who mm-hmm. just tells you what to do, and often it's sexual. Um, not in the they imply it in the show, but she talks about being raped. Another woman basically has an abortion because she was raped by him and all this stuff. And so there's all these levels of like awful and the whole thing is just so foreboding, but that's what I love about like, it's a true horror when you have like this absolute sense of no control. And this guy could just rip your life apart by a a one word. Um, But then Jessica Jones season two was about her mom and her mom was weird. And I didn't like it even one episode and so i was like Ugh. so daredevil to me has consistently been the best writing the best production um and me and shannon just we love the character and this uh, mm-hmm. this season is 10 times more catholic than anything else is it like good catholic it is it treats the struggle of faith very very real and raw but i don't think there's a character there i mean there are elements of a caricature Come on, just have faith, Matthew. But uh, our Lord, you know, they say things like, our Lord, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, all right, settle down, settle down. <laughs> That's my thing is I, I just wish when they would do Catholicism in this show, it'd be accurate Catholicism. So that's what I loved about Daredevil season one where he talks about, you know, when I was a young hotshot seminarian, I thought I knew everything and I didn't believe in the devil. I thought he was a tool of the medieval church to get people to pay up and keep attending and all that stuff. And then he tells the story of when he met the devil, this horrible man who murdered a good man just because he was a good man and in Africa. And I felt like they did the concept of the devil justice and the modernism in the church and all that stuff. So I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't hate it. Mm. Mm. Interesting. I don't fault you for it. Thank you. Uh, but this one takes it much more seriously. But actually, okay, so this is going to be a little crazy. But there's a scene, I think it's in the first episode, so I'm not spoiling much, where Daredevil is talking about, he's quoting Job. And he said, Job was the most righteous of all of God's servants. He, um, he had 10 children and every day would offer 10 goats in sacrifice in case the the sins of his children and blah 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 and his tradition and then uh, as i do every day um and he talked about how there were um and then god killed them the kids and took everything from job and as i'm hearing it and he's like he was his greatest servant and if that's what god's willing to do to his greatest servant then who cares and the whole time, I like literally started choking up, and I'm like, "That's what, that's what the son accepted into his life. That's Christ. Don't you see, man? Oh wait, you're blind. Don't you feel the sound waves, man? <laughs> the crucifix is right behind you." <laughs> I think Wilson Fisk is the best villain of even the movies, uh, minus uh, maybe minus Loki, but Loki's still cartoonish. Wilson Fisk feels like he he could actually be real, and he's going to destroy your life. Now the reason well, why is huh? That's Kingpin, right? King Bob guy. Yeah. 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 I actually agree with you on that. Yeah, I mean, who who's a better villain other than maybe Loki? Who's a better villain? Is that Red Skull? No. Uh Killmonger is pretty awesome. Killmonger's but I, he's awesome. Now like, he's still like the cliche answer. 
Um, well, he's also I... because he's a villain that you sympathized with. Kingpin yeah. isn't. You have moments of like sympathy for, but you don't empathize. Like you're not kind of rooting for him. I, I you buy his motivation. Yeah, and you also are terrified of him. Yeah, like that's Ooh, the whole point of that character. Anywho, uh, do we have is today a topics? Is that what I'm getting from my email? Yes. All these people yes. just sending in questions, and I'm like, did I write something? Did Luke write something? No, what is it? Oh, I did. It must be tough. Um, All right. So, so for, for, uh, well, uh, I don't know. Well, we can talk more. Well, actually, this comes up as a question, so we can talk about it then. Uh, for those for those of you guys that do not know, we've dived headfirst into just being more Patreon oriented. Uh, we just uploaded on there the first episode of the B sides. The, the B sides. New... How awesome is first fan? Uh, Sugar Garcia, say that's five times faster. If you have a speech impediment, those C's, man, those C's. <laughs> B sides is a new project by Catching Foxes. It's the same discussion over instruction that you're used to, but without so much the collision of faith and culture. Now you might not know this yet, but you've been waiting for this your whole life. Welcome to the B sides. Um, Sugar Garcia, first fan. We call her first fan because she was. As far as we can remember, she was the first, like, active person that was a listener that had no connection to us whatsoever, like from Steubenville mm-hmm. or anything, or family, my mom, <laughs> pushing a refresh Aunt on D. the... And <laughs> D. Um, and she, but she hails from Australia. And so, like, wow, okay, this is great. And she just became, she would engage a lot. And then she went to the Holy Land. And it's funny, my wife, who does not listen to the show, she remembers the Sugar Goes to the Holy Land little campaign that we did where she took our prayer intentions of our fans with her to the Holy Land. I thought that was so awesome. So you reminded of beautiful things. Yeah, like so that. so Luke had recorded uh, a show with, uh, what's his name? Yeah, so on the B-Sides, it's where we're going to have we're gonna have the same uh, discussion over instruction ethos. But it might not be a, with with like only people or topics that aren't really at the intersection of faith and culture. So I interviewed Bobby Warshaw, who uh, played pro um, the soccer here in the states and out and like like out Europe, and we talked for about an hour or so about all sorts of stuff. It was really really cool. Um, have you have you heard it? Yeah. Uh, what did you think? As a non-sports ball fan, I thought it was great. Welcome to B-Sides. Luke interviews a soccer player who's now a commentator. B-Sides. Right? I thought, like, I, I really thought that some of his, some of his, like, insights were just really cool. And he, and uh, he wrote a really great, uh, great book called, um, called, like, When the Dream Became Reality. And it's all about, like, what's your average pro athlete's experience like like having to get into like a headspace in order to like play a game at that high of a level what does that do like a person's like psyche over um over time and it's just really really great so that's so that's so like that is like up there and uh we're trying to post at least one thing a day and just really try to um cultivate a community on our patreon page because twitter exhausts me yeah so, and the reason um, why we brought up sugar garcia first fan sugar garcia is because um i ring i rung her up on the old Facebook Messenger and said, hey, girl. And she said, hi. 
and I heard didgeridoos in the background. And uh, she just said, <laughs> I just asked her, I said, would you record a small intro to our B-sides? Like, we want we want this to be, like, fan-driven, fan-motivated. And she did, and then I put, like, um, uh, a VHS tape. Because it's, like, B-sides, like an audio cassette tape, right? So I put a I VHS image, yeah. and a audio cassette tape. It's called a Vox, which apparently is, like, a type of musical noise. I don't know, whatever. I don't know music. <laughs> and uh, And it sounded so cool and scratchy and all the right sounds for, like, a cassette. So it's, like, all those fun things. And um, I put it up there in a remixed some of the stuff that she said and so she gets to do the intro to b-side so it's just a new project that we're doing on patreon it's not uh joey joey at angry catholic it is not a new podcast it is just if one of us mostly don't get Luke, your panties all, all in a bunch joey <laughs> <laughs> we know how easy it is for you <laughs> you know how those gingers are oh, oh i did not say that <laughs> i did not say that um, but anywho, it is a, uh, yeah. So if like one of us, if we do an interview, like father Robert Spitzer, we're kind of like, eh, father Robert Spitzer was a great interview. It, like it really was the stuff that he said, but it's not really the intersection of faith and culture in the beginning. It was, he talks a lot about his life and why he chose Gonzaga and blah, blah, blah. But, um, and then he was like, have you, has the interview actually started yet? And we were like, <laughs> we're 30 minutes in crap. Oh crap. But uh, she, uh, he was awesome. But that's one of the things that was really just, it was more of like like something that you would hear on Pints with Aquinas. We talked about existence, evidence for the existence of God and all that stuff. And we just don't know if that's <laughs> what we're going for on the podcast, the podcast. No. And uh, so, anywho, I, uh, I, we might release that as like a B-sides. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So this is a very um, long way of saying that all of these questions came from the people on pay on patreon who we guarantee we will answer their um listener questions that is the 30 dollars a month or higher and so we're going to talk about so we're going to answer all of it like all of them regardless of how absurd they are and i don't think any of them are absurd are you are i'm ready man you ready ding ding round one some guy named M. Frad asked, uh, first three things you do if you were made Pope tomorrow. First three things you do if you were made Pope tomorrow. Huh. Okay. Thing number one, uh, immediately make celibacy illegal. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear that, Father John Nebel? Did you hear that? <laughs> <laughs> no, the first thing I... <laughs> the first thing I would do is, uh, hmm. First thing I would do is answer the dubia. Second thing I would do is what's that? Answer vegano. Third thing I would do is deal with Vatican corruption in the bank. Those are my things. What's the dubia? Uh, the dubia is a thing that Bishop uh, Cardinal Burke and a bunch of other theologians sent to. Uh, Cardinal or Pope Francis uh, respectfully requesting a dubious a, a document. It's like uh, we're trying to understand certain elements that are questionable. Can you help us about Amoris? And uh, basically over the footnote, and um, it's all asked in a very respectful way. But again, Pope Francis just ignores questions he doesn't want to answer. But it's not just that a leading cardinal in the Catholic Church, who is known for being very conservative, but he's also known as being a freaking gentleman. 
And he has said multiple times he like loves and respects Pope Francis, and he's really on board with his evangelization, but people just capital H hate him on the left. And I think his dubia is someone who, oh, I don't know, does uh, RCIA and has to deal with marriage and divorce and remarriage issues all the time. I would freaking like an answer to that question, those questions. There's five questions. So that and, I mean, really Vatican corruption in the bank. I would be like, sorry, a Godfather Part 3. <laughs> in this movie, Godfather Part 3 has been out for decades upon decades, and the premise <laughs> of the movie still exists. There is corruption at the Vatican Bank. <laughs> uh, okay, here's the first. Here's the first thing I would do. I would... oh, and I call myself Pope Peter the Second, and I would be married to my wife and have my kids in the Vatican. Aha! I haven't thought about uh, this at length. I'd call myself Pope, like Pope, like Balthasar the First. Oh, good. And <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. <laughs> um, not really. Uh, okay, so no. So, so the first thing I would do is I would open up all the McCarrick stuff like on like a website and say, here it all is here. Here, here is what Benedict said. Here's a week. All of the, all of the communication. I would put it all out there. I'd give everyone free access to all of it in PDF forms. Uh, <laughs> here's a to... searchable PDF. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, which might be impractical, but like, who cares? I'm the freaking Pope. Uh, no, no, two. no, no, no. What you want to do, Luke, to totally Pope it out is to put the text on uh, <laughs> without borders on uh, with a background of faux parchment just to make it really difficult to read. <laughs> exactly. Um, two is I would have all of the bishops in the world would have to go through spiritual direction that would lead to a renewal of their priestly vows. And if the spiritual director did not think that they were in a good place to do that, then they would like basically be condemned, not condemned, so that, that's wrong, but they would be um, removed from their office. Uh, now, again, there's a lot of like, well, how would that work? Okay, this is all just like a theoretical thing. Okay, so let's, let's just pretend that it's all done in like, it's all done in um, good faith. So all, so again, all of the bishops would have to go to spiritual direction that would end with a renewal of their priestly vows and if they're not able to do that they would be removed from office hey. uh the, and then the third thing i would do is resign and make cardinal sarah pope <laughs> sarah <laughs> sorry cardinal sarah and he would just go on and on and on and on and on about the same thing but it'd be awesome because he's african and holy so who cares <laughs> I don't understand women <laughs> <laughs> and their place in the church. However, silence is beautiful. Come on, people. Okay, I'm just kidding. This, the I don't understand women thing is comics. Oh, fuck, I'm gonna a great insight that. joke. I'm going to have to. Yeah. Not, it had nothing to do with Cardinal Seurat at all. Oh. Oh, man. Or, okay, or I would just make, because, like, this great African, oh, no, the bishop had a great thing that he said. I would just make all, I'd put all the African bishops just in charge of the entire church over at the Vatican from top to bottom. So I really think, like, Africa is going to save the Catholic Church. So when you say top to bottom, you don't mean that in a mechanic sense. <clears throat> Did you just say what I think you just said? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man, we're going old school in this one, aren't we? <laughs> the, the Summer, summer of, of Scandal. scandal.
scandal. scandal. You know what's crazy about the about the whole like, I, I mean, for, just for lack of a better term, gay like mafia thing, or just like I, 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 I'm, I, I wish there's a way I could put it that says this is not like all gay individuals. It's just people at the Vatican who are gay, who are who like use their power in a corrupt way. Well, it's it's also that. These are people who joined the clergy because they wanted to gay it up, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, not, yeah. So let me. Let me big tell difference you. between you know, yeah. <laughs> okay, so I am super excited that the bishop of the see this sucks having to say what I'm about to say, but I am excited for the church that the bishop of Memphis was just fired by Pope Francis immediately. So there, he what he did was cause so much problems with the church in the diocese of Memphis, because like almost right after becoming the bishop and arriving, he in like his I want to say it was his first year he moved all the priests, uh, almost uh, like two thirds of the priests or half the priests in the diocese to entirely new assignments like that year. Ooh, bold. No, not bold. It plunged everyone into oh, yeah, pure no, I know. chaos. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, you're being like, a dick. That's absurd. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it did. It, it caught, I mean, I know one person who did not, oh, I even hate stating this, but who did not get married in the church because, because of the move, his annulment paperwork was lost. Oh, my and gosh. my heart, when I heard that story, as someone who has worked with people seeking annulments, my heart broke for this person and they're not super bitter they're just frustrated right and so it's like well sucks. Yeah, right and it's all because of this guy pope francis fired him today or yesterday and uh his vicar for clergy was from canada i want to say his vicar for clergy maybe general vicar judicial vicar um was from canada you rarely get someone from outside your diocese let alone outside your country and this dude was super gay. Super gay. <laughs> super, like, like just the worst, like, called a predator in that Gawker article. And he was just, like, it was crazy. And they're all connected to Whirl. Oh, my God. Do you hear that? They're all <laughs> connected to Whirl. The bishop is a Whirl man. He served as uh, like an auxiliary bishop, an honorary degree. Oh boy! Who did? Um, uh, Stephenville did. They gave um world an honorary degree. He was one of the commencement speakers a while ago. Oh right, right, right. Oh, everything is terrible. Um, everything what is else terrible. was it? Uh, I was gonna say something. I forgot. I have, oh, I have oh. like books by Bertoni and World and all this stuff. World wrote a decent amount on the new evangelization. Um. I just think Can someone sent us alcohol. I need to drink more while we talk about this. <laughs> <I'm> out, <laughs> please. Uh, My address is two seven. Um, seriously, just like uh, hit me up on Facebook. We um, need to go on to some more questions because I have a feeling my well, wife and kids are going to be on. Okay, one thing I want to add really, really quick: for, there are like a lot of people who are like, but this whole like yeah. gay individuals wanting to do bad things in in the church is this like new thing? It's not. There was a huge yeah. Netflix thing on this a couple of like years ago that no one really paid attention to. Yeah, and it was right. It's just crazy. So yeah, this is not this is not a new thing. I mean, I mean, just think about it. If you're gay, a uh, hundred years ago, the Catholic priesthood removes excuses why you're not getting married. 
right? Everyone, hey, how come so-and-so is not married yet? What's the last girl he dated? Oh, he's going to be a priest. Oh, wow, okay. You know, it removes that, gives you prestige, honor. But if you're not in, if you're in an environment where, um, I mean, number one, if you aren't reconciled to Christ, if you're just doing it to escape this stuff, then you're going to have a lot of problems because the priesthood ain't easy, right? Mm -hmm. It's easy to abuse it, though. But then the other thing is, um, then you meet up with a whole bunch of other priests who are doing the same thing, and they have no desire to stop, you know, fornicating. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you have this, a hotbed of, of uh, uh, like, you literally have seminaries of people hooking up every day. And that's what this, and if you don't let men crawl into your bedroom, because I, like I've said before, I've known seminaries where good guys left because they were sick and tired of having to lock their dorm room at night to keep either A, the rector, or B, the um, other students out of their room. Like, and I'm talking like sexual assault. Like, uh, so when you have that happening in more than one seminary, like, what's it called? Theological Union? Theological, I think it was Theological Union in dc connected to catholic university like that was like a crazy hotbed of craziness and that's where this auxiliary bishop came from oh please send your alcohol to catching foxes <laughs> i should come up with a p.o box shouldn't i yes uh this is from uh this is from um father brian uh after episode eight and solo can the star wars franchise be saved or is it doomed if it can be saved what will it take after episode eight and solo can the star wars franchise be saved or is it doomed if it can be saved what will it take i have some thoughts on this yeah i think it can be saved but i don't think it should be i think you can make a, a good video a good movie but here's the problem they're just they're doing dumb stuff i don't want a boba fett movie I don't want a Han Solo movie. No, let's do Knights of the Old Republic. Let's do something cool that has the force in it and lightsabers, but it's not the same story. Yeah, so I um, I think, so here's what I do. I think you need to have your main, like you need to have uh, what's called, like the, I, I, I'm trying to forget what they called it, but you're like, the, you need to um, have the saga. So that's like the main episode, like one, two, you know, like, yeah. or whatever. I think you need to do that, but I think it needs to be a completely like um completely like new thing. Don't worry about timelines or like um, when it happens, just like a new thing. And it needs to have no ties besides like the main Star Wars box. It needs to have no ties to any of the Skywalker stuff and just um, make it about the battle between good and evil. And that and keep it simple. Then I think you can do like I think you can do these like one-off stuff but it needs to be it needs to be um it can't be like vanilla it has to be very specific in terms of the, the overall like genre so i think so take um oh gosh uh what was a film about the death star plans rogue one uh, yeah okay so take like rogue one was meant to be a war like a like a straight up like war movie and they they didn't like where it was, I think they wanted to bring in this other, so they brought in both, so for both of their, like, one-off stuff, they've had to change directors towards the end, because I guess there were issues, 
they've got to let the directors do whatever they want to do and get them a genre specific maker tarantino star wars films uh do the coen brothers star wars films do like whatever like play within that play with in the universe but get really specific in terms of the tone and all and all of the voices take really big risk uh like the i think like they kind of did with guardians of the galaxy you know where it had this kind of fun freewheeling set to like a 70s soundtrack films that were awesome um have a specific tone i think that would be really really cool so it's more about playing in the in the box of star wars as opposed to tying it into all the original stuff yeah I just want Knights of the Old Republic. I think the video games do a better job telling a story. Um, just pick another part of the galaxy and show life there. Like, it has to stop with the damn Skywalkers. We're done. It's a. It was a yeah, great it's story. Done. We're done. Yeah. But here's the problem: everything you do is in the shadow of the original three. Everything the, to me, it's like, it, the, and the only way I was just gonna say it's artistically bankrupt. It's been mined. And it, it's because its shadow is too big. I I think they um I think it probably one of their biggest and I and I get it they want to make a, they want to make a whole bunch of money but one of their biggest mistakes was probably trying to extend the saga or not going with what in a weird way take the core of what of what like George Lucas wanted because he wasn't going to be able to do it on his own because he sucks on on his own and just do it like your way but like use the spine of his story use the use the core parts and then just then just um, let it go yeah are we good i think we're good man just put it out to pasture m field as time goes on there will be a more of parishes than priests to serve them all what do you see as the best way to firm to firm up management for parishes in in the future sorry what does the church in America, what does it like look like in fifteen plus years? What type of planning is um needed to to what is is um needed? Assuming that there is not an exponential increase of like of like um men signing up for ordination in Guatemala or in uh, excuse me in Honduras right now. The priests that I work with for our adult mission trip, or not I work with Saint Anthony's works with Deacon Mike Mort. Uh, currently oversees 52, five, two churches and chapels. 52 for one priest. All the priests of the diocese basically just live at the cathedral rectory because otherwise they would have zero communion. They, I mean, just think about that number. Who gets served then? I'll tell you who gets served. Those who go to Protestant churches. Unless you come up with, and what they do is they have what they call them lay catechetical leaders, and they train them, and they put them in all these communities, and they're the ones responsible for weekly liturgy of the words and catechesis and stuff. Uh, you know, in China, when there were no priests, and in Japan, when all the priests were killed, it was the laity. It was the laity that led everything but mass. So my whole thing is, Um, the laity have so disregarded their vocation. I say this all the time. The laity have so disregarded their vocation that when Vatican II came and told us what we're supposed to do, but in Sacrosanctum Concilium opened a couple doors for the laity to do a couple new liturgical services, we ran to the liturgical services instead of going out and evangelizing and becoming holy, right? And it bothers me. It has always bothered me. 
right? This podcast is part of that response of like, we got to talk about this, how we're not doing this. I mean, all this stuff, you and I have to evangelize. So what is it going to look like? It's going to look like one priest having masses in 15 different churches, but it's going to have to be lay people, you know, who are in smaller, if we don't get more priests, it's going to be lay people in smaller communities meeting together regularly who actually care about their faith and then making their pilgrimage to the church every other Sunday to receive the Eucharist or whatever it is. Like, people, do you really think, I mean, just watch the news as people talk about transgenderism, gay marriage, and watch as they talk about the opponents. The game is up in our culture. There is no dismissal of anything transgender anymore. There's no... There, there's none of that. Our culture has no clue what male and female is anymore. And you think a church, like, I mean, God bless Christopher West. He's praising the theology of the body as the antidote for our age. Our, that is going to be the poison of the church in all the right ways, right? Like, the culture is going to kill us for it, right? And so when I sit down and have conversations with people, about whether or not they want to join the church. I'm I'm like twice as bold as I used to be because I'm like, listen, listen, we don't need half-hearted Catholics anymore. I can't do it anymore. I can't bring in because, well, my wife's Catholic and uh, shoot, we just want to have one religion in the family. It's like, no, no. Do you understand? <laughs> They're coming. They are. I am fully and firmly convinced that uh, within 10 years, you're going to have active lawsuits not just about, I, I mean, number one, the when they remove the statute of limitations, goodbye. Goodbye diocesan employees. Goodbye lay, lay employees of parishes. It's gone because there'll be no money. I mean, you were the one that told me that Catholic schools started getting shut down because there's no money. So if the laity don't start in community praying with each other, evangelizing, uh, inviting their neighbors over, um, praying the liturgy of the hours with each other. If we don't start doing this, there is no Catholic Church in America. We are not the chosen nation, the royal priesthood. <laughs> right? America, the God will remove our lampstand, people. God has no problem doing that to a faithless generation. I am off my soapbox. <laughs> uh, just kidding. I'm just getting warmed up. I got onto another even bigger <laughs> soapbox. This is catching foxes, motherfucker. We're taking this all off. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I, yeah, um, yep. I totally agree. Like, I, I just, uh, there is no cake. There are no candles. There is only McCarrick. Happy birthday. <laughs> that is the church that we deserve right now. That's you know, that's the church that we've, you know. Ugh. Um, just just like anything I could add, uh, I think having to run a parish with your staff and the pastor with the mindset of a spouse. So what? Let the pastor be. Let him be a like father, and then play to play to his strengths. Like you know, like there are certain things that like Aaron does in our in our household because I suck at them. Um, don't worry so much as about quote unquote traditional 
roles, do the things that you have to do because that's what you do, you know, as in like the sacraments and whatnot. But if you've got a person on staff who'd be better at like running the whole, like the whole on the parish, give them like, like, like me and Aaron and like our family, when we talk, like I handle all, all like of the finances, um, but I don't do things independently of her. Like we talk about it. It's just, it's just like, it's just my responsibility. And we have, we have like a common vision of what we want. And I think we need to run our parishes more like that. Like, so that means that just because it's not what, not what like the priest, it might not be his, like, you know, like his, it might not be his, like, um, his like preference. But if you've come to an agreement, he can't just change his mind on a whim because it's what he wants. There's got to be like way more of a give and take. I think between him and his staff. Uh, I do think we look to a lot of our good Protestant brothers and uh, our Protestant brothers and sisters for how they run their like how they run their churches and take what works, you know. Um, yeah, I, I, I also think um, way more um, practical things coming out of the parish not just catechetical things but just you know like way more um okay so let's talk about how do if i'm asked to be in a gay wedding how do i respond to that if i've you know if i've adopted kids from you know, like asia being in a group of people that can like help me like with, like what's it like to go through all of that like provide places where real like get like very very niche in terms of what your accompaniment looks like and be prepared to go to jail. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Do you ever think you think you'll ever get arrested? Yes. Mostly because I haven't paid my taxes yet. It's <laughs> true. It's true, everyone. Actually, I've paid my taxes. I just haven't <sighs> filed them. And I paid way more than I owe. Anywho. Um, okay, so uh, let's take a little break. Can I take a little break and, and pitch something for you? Yep. Okay. Yep. Every Sacred Sunday. You heard, Luke? You ever heard of Every Sacred Sunday? No. That's because you're a bastard. Every this is the worst <laughs> ad read. It's not really an ad read, but every Sacred Sunday is a mass journal for the Sunday liturgy and Holy Days of Obligation that is just meant to help Catholics get the readings and then journal about the readings. One of my wife's former teens that was in her youth group, um, Christy. Oh, yeah, nice. yeah, yeah. Awesome, awesome. It's it's interesting. It's like, uh, oh, they don't have their... Mm, Chrissy's like a kinder, no, she's like a, an elementary school art teacher, I think. And the other woman whose name I can't find, oh, here we go. She is like a Cassie. Cassie Manning is a molecular biologist. I think she has her PhD. Ooh. And she just has a great love of God. And Chrissy Peters has a great love of God. So they combined it and they created Every Sacred Sunday. They like put it out on Kickstarter. Tons of people did it. I bought one for my wife, myself, and my my boss and i think my assistant um i like them i like the books they're strong hardback books you can pop them in a bag bring them with you i take them to mass they're not super flowery they do have water original watercolor art from christy peters but they're not they're not like uh yeah they're not like you're getting uh what's that one the women's thing uh blessed is she they're not like, uh, yeah, Blessed is She is, is beautiful, but it's meant for, you know, for women. This is, so now they did the Kickstarter. Uh, Well, or excuse me, they did the Kickstarter. Now they, they don't need to do the Kickstarter. So they're just, they've already designed the journal. 
and they're ready to sell it. So their pre-sales are going on right now. Might be over. Um, you get like eight eight bucks off, six bucks off. So every sacred oh, nice. Sunday.com. Hey, can I talk to you about one more thing that I'm very pumped about? Absolutely. Is it the fact that my daughter's about to get a staple in her head as we speak? I'm sure that our uh, that are like advertisers are, are going to love that that's in there. Uh, yes. That was a free um, ad Because it means she's going to be, okay. <laughs> I know. Well, I was going to talk to you about the Sheer Jesus pod, pod, podcast. Oh, do tell. Um, so our good friends, Brian Kissinger and Andy Olosnevsky, who was on the podcast way back when, uh, you guys have probably seen the Sheer Jesus videos during Lent and advent they have they have a brand new podcast where they basically take the bible readings from every day and they do a quick two to three minute reflection on those readings so it's a really great thing to have during your commute just to hear some um people talk about like bible readings of uh sorry the mass readings of the day i was going to ask i was going to ask like you if there's any if there's like one gospel passage that like you could do that on basically two to three minutes, what would it be? Um, so it be your own little Gomer homily for two to a two Gomer homily, minutes. or as it's known around my house, a gomily. Uh, I would do or breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny, Luke. Um, I would do, huh? Hmm. Ha. Hmm. Ha. Mirror. See? Mirror. I would probably hat. Fat. <laughs> Francie. Um, <laughs> I would probably do it on oh, that's awesome. on uh Genesis one one and two or John one one through three. Nice. What's John one through three? In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The word was in the beginning with God. All things came to be made through him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and this life was the light of the human race, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He was not the light, but he came to bear testimony to the light. Oh, sorry. What were we talking about? What? Do you know who would like that? Ratzinger. <laughs> you know who'd like that? Protestants. You know why? They read the Bible. Uh, I think I would want to do I'd want to do my shared Jesus episode on when it was the woman at the well. Mm. I think that is the story of our times yeah. right now. So, yeah. Um, so if you want to f- if you want to check out the Share Jesus podcast, it, it is available on iTunes and all other spot and all other podcast apps. I'm really pumped about this. It's awesome. They've already have the first like a month and a half up there. Share Jesus podcast. Thank you for sponsoring Catching Foxes. Bam. And that is how you do a good ad read. We're getting better at this. Or maybe we're not. Nope. Do you ever yeah, fantasize yeah. about starting a radical, pious movement, which, of course, will come to be known as the Catholic Awakening, that galvanizes the faithful and ushers in a new era of earthly stewardship for the kingdom of God? On a more serious note, do you ever get envious or anxious when listening to sermons by devout and zealous Protestants? Uh, number one, radical, pa- uh, pious movement. I actually think about that often. I think about like, Me too. you know, there's, there's some priests who talk about, you know, just do what's do say what's in black and do what's in red. Right. I, I really want to inspire, um, priests to be vigorous 
spiritual warfare people. I want them to love contemplative prayer, you know, that, uh, that most of their days are not spent in administration, but in working with people and praying and governing the church through discernment. Um, yeah, in, in today's modern church might be impossible to ask some of that, but I don't think it's too far afield to ask for most of it. Um, I would want lay people who are trained in evangelization, in actual evangelization, Luke, you know, instead of other things that are not evangelization, but catechesis calling itself evangelization. Mm-hmm. Oh, gosh, I'm getting so pissed off right now at the church. Send <laughs> us your alcohol, please. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I, uh, I actually do all of my ministry. I really try to view it as starting a movement. And so um, I think it's actually, like, really important to have the idea of, like, like trying to, like, foster, like, both, like, um, an idea of, like, oh, there's a thing going on in the church there. Is this click, there's this click, there's this click movement going on here. I think that's what, I think, like, that's pretty exciting when we're able to uh, do ministry in that, with that kind of, like, mindset. Um do I ever get anxious uh, when I'm listening to Protestants talk? Um, no, I, I tend to really like it for the most part if I hear like a good one. It's been a while since I've really paid attention to a lot of Protestant um, sermons or whatnot, but uh, I've always enjoyed them when I have listened. What are your thoughts, <clears throat> Joseph? Do you ever get envious or anxious? Um, the answer is yes. I follow a lot of amazing Protestant pastors. Um, John Piper is one of those guys who, when he preaches on the Holy Spirit and on being in love with the Holy Spirit, uh, there, there's one in particular, I literally played it. It's about a 35 minute, um, sermon. I played it for a guy who is a Thomist that I work with and, you know, very studied Latin mass friendly kind of guy. And he looked at that and he said, that, that is literally one of the most incredible things I've ever heard in my life. And there was nothing in it that would make a Catholic go, Ugh. and it was so powerful. It was so powerful. And I just thought, when, when, when have we ever, when have we ever, Bishop Barron doesn't preach, he teaches. When have we ever gotten something like that? Like the word of God unfolding and washing over you like waves on a beach, like you're just the happiest kid in the world as it crashes over you and and doesn't come out in these pitiful little drops sandwiched with the dumbest, pointless stories. I, I mean, half the time Catholic sermons are essentially a five-minute recap paraphrase done poorly of the gospel. Like, so, you know, what we got to do is we got to be nice and uh, love our Lord and uh, relationship and just talking about this with my coworkers today, we did a reflection on the Sunday readings led by my pastor. And uh, I just said, you know, I feel like if, if this were to be a homily, it just needs to have something that kicks us into action. It's not enough to hear these things be like, yes, God loves me. Yes, yes God has compassion on the blind man, uh, blind Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus. Like we need to know what's going on. And then we need to see how it reflects on our own life and then choose to follow accordingly. And 
I just don't feel like there is the call to make a decision to follow Christ enough, if at all. Uh, the last one, can you expound? And I, so I think you may not have an actual answer for this, but we'll, we'll tell you what, what we're going to do. Can you expound on the Twitter thread Father Harrison had on intentional discipleship? especially what he means by we are missing a sacramental reality. This is why we should record our phone conversations. Yeah, so Luke um, sent me a text message that I had no freaking idea what it meant. <laughs> it was I, so... I love this. I love this. I love this. He said, uh, Von Balthazar and vows are better than Aquinas and mission missionary discipleship uh tell me i'm wrong or prove to me i'm wrong what was it <laughs> i was like i said uh come at me or something like that i, I, and, I and instead of saying is like better than i had the is greater than sign yeah <laughs> so yeah. um balthazar and vows is is greater than sign uh aquinas and missionary discipleship come at me <laughs> something like that <laughs> it was funny Guess and i had no there. idea what that meant here it is balthazar and vows is greater than aquinas a missionary discipleship change my mind and i said <laughs> no you change my mind and then i sent him an image of sugar garcia becoming a patron we've been waiting for this your whole life <laughs> you said the most random pictures sometimes i know i do like, it makes sense in your head and then you said that it's like what what is yeah. normally doing here yeah, so then Luke calls me up, and we have this conversation about what, where the hell that came from. And where it came from was this priest, Father Harrison, on Twitter, said that he's really been thinking a lot about these paradigms of evangelization and discipleship. And he was saying how in reading Ratzinger more and more and more and more, he's becoming convinced that our modern world, because it's hyper-materialistic, because it is materialist and atheist, looks at matter and doesn't see a sacramental, a sacred sign, or even something symbolic. It's just dead matter, right? And so he was saying, uh, so he was thinking about that and wrestling with that, and then he maybe went to a conference or was reflecting on some conference that he had attended, and he was saying how all these things around the phrase missionary discipleship, he feels like a lot of them are not just super Protestant, but that they are super anti-sacramental type of christian right so lutherans have well, i would not say anti i would say that it is devoid of it's devoid yeah. of sacramentality yeah yeah and what i meant by anti-sacramental yeah what i meant by that was the anti-sacramental traditions within protestant christianity anti-liturgical anti-sacramental right like like john piper who i was just talking about I remember in a sermon, he said, don't even get me started on sacramentalism. <laughs> I was like, whoa, okay. Um, but there is an anti-sacramentalist. John. Right, but how they do discipleship and, and evangelization is being imported. His fear is that it's being imported kind of carte blanche into this notion of Catholic missionary discipleship. At least it's being upheld in certain areas. That it's devoid of the symbolic, the sacramentality, the sacramental um, aspect. He's not just saying the seven sacraments. He's saying a sacramentality or even symbolic way. Because, like, um, 
Um, and like also like one of like uh, Ratzinger's big things is that Chris is that Chris Christianity is about entering into a a uh, a profound mist a profound mystery, and we've totally lost that. Yeah, it's like gone. Yeah, that's central. I mean, the understanding that I mean, Saint Paul uses the phrase "mystery of Christ" like fifteen times in the New Testament, or mystery as it's predicated to Christ. But for him, mystery meant how when you are in Christ, Jew and Gentile can be equals, right? That's the mystery. Being Saint, Saint, Saint Paul? Saint Paul. That's the mystery for Saint Paul. The mystery of Christ is Gentiles are now included in God's covenant relationship, right? And so, but, and like I tell people all the time, right, read Ephesians chapter 1 and just look at how many times in Christ, in him, in the beloved, in Jesus, that phrase is used. And then you begin to see, oh, oh, this is not just like a, um, this isn't a legal game we're playing, right? This isn't just a courtroom drama where now I have put on the innocent one as the guilty man, and now the judge is going to declare me free. I am in Christ. He is my new vicarious representative. I am in him. And being mystically in him, what is owed to him falls to me, right? So now his inheritance, eternal life, becomes my inheritance as an adopted son of God, right? And when you lose contact with this notion of the mystical and the mysterious entering into Christ, then, and it's just like, hey, say these words, believe these things, attend this place, then you're 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 kind of not bringing him to Christianity. Yeah. Um. So we're actually going to have this priest, Father Harrison, on the podcast, right? Yeah, he was down for it. He thought it would be a great idea. And to me, I think this might be one of those uh, brief little chit chats where it's a B side thing. But um, I I really did. That, yeah. I'm sorry. Well, no, I was going to say I think. This is a really broad question, and I think yeah. I'd like to save our answer for it for that podcast. Yeah, my my whole contention with it is when you look at the charismatic proclamation in the gospel or in the book of Acts, they do not mention the sacraments. They do not mention the Virgin Mary. They do not mention the papacy because you will not believe in those things if you do not have a vital faith in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. St. Paul preached the resurrection so much that the people listening to him in Athens literally thought he was preaching two gods, one called Christ and another one called Hanastasis or resurrection, right? So that is how seriously Paul took the resurrection. When was the last time you heard a homily that was overwhelming on the resurrection? See, this is what I'm talking about. So if you have faith in Jesus... Why, heck, man, it's almost like you're in the early church. You spend three years preparing to enter the church. And when you enter the church, surprise, surprise, they get you naked, wrap you in a white garment, dunk you in water three times. You had no idea you were getting baptized. You had no idea you were getting confirmed. And, oh, my goodness, the discipline of the secret, here is the Eucharist himself, our Lord and Savior, right? They didn't teach them about the sacraments until Mysagogia, the immersion into the mysteries of the faith, and that was only for the initiated, 
right? Can you imagine that? You go, you, you're sitting there listening about the great story of Israel, about Jesus Christ and all the things he did, about the early church. And you're like, what does it mean to be the bread of life? And what is the, you know, keep the festival and all this stuff? Like, this mm-hmm. is crazy. But then they receive the Eucharist because they've been so trained on the Old and New Testament, they understand what they're receiving. I dare say we Catholics <laughs> have no clue what we're receiving sometimes. So I kind of agree with Father Harrison. And I, I, I don't want to go too deep on this yet. I agree with everything that you just talk, talk, talked about. One thing I would bring up is that Peter does talk about um, baptism in Acts chapter 2. Yeah, it's the only sacrament. I should have said, I had a feeling you were going to bring that up. <laughs> Looped. So, um, okay, so. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I said that on the phone call with you. The only sacrament ever talked about is the sacrament of faith. Yeah, yeah, baptism. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, no, no, I'm. If you're I'm an adult and you were becoming Catholic in the early church, you were publicly scrutinized by your neighbor Christians, and they had to stand in front of you at what we call the scrutinies, and they had to stand in front of the whole church and be like, listen, this guy, I don't think he takes this seriously. Like, he was cheating on his, you know, uh, cheating his neighbor, defrauding this. He was doing this and doing that. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. I just um, said seriously, and my phone thought I said her name. And, and she was just, like, I'm always here, baby. No, and then she responded, this is not about me, Goma. It's about you. Because I have a set on an Australian <laughs> voice, and that's how I do an Australian. Nice. I have mine set on an English guy. Uh, on an English woman. Uh, <laughs> what I was going... Darn, oh, so I think... I would say that was my big issue with some of the missionary discipleship movement is that I don't think it leads us and um, it feels too divorced from the sacramentality of the Christian project. And I, I agree with everything. Well, I agree with everything you just you just you just talked about. Um, I, I'm not saying that you are wrong at all. I just because that have, would be a fool's errand, boy. And I, but I've had see. So like, here's like here's my here's here's my issue with this, and this is the thing that I've been I'm talking about with um people for a while now, trying to unpack this. Um, I just don't think that this whole missionary discipleship movement is enough because I don't think it gets concrete. Ultimately. And I think that's one of the great parts about um, about the sacramental the sacramental nature of our church is that it makes the faith a concrete like lived a like a lived experience as opposed to a um, now a it's it's like the difference between belief and faith. Though, like to me, that's that's where like that's where the rubber hits the road. So I think I think like what you're talking about is great because we have to come to like like it's about more. Um, so I don't get too deep into this because I think I, this is like a whole episode. So, um, but I I think I do think this is a conversation that needs to start happening because I think, um, 
I think that he's on to something. Yeah, I would. Okay, so let me let me couch what I want to say, and then we can kind of wrap up and go to the next question. But I, um, the problem with missionary discipleship that uncritically borrows from a fundamentalist evangelical or wider Protestant ethos outside of the Catholic Church is that principally it does not come from an understanding of communion as the deepest form of trans uh, of transforming union. Let me put it that way. They don't yes, understand I that agree. communion is transforming union. And so when it starts, all of Protestant, almost all of Protestantism from Luther onward functions from an individualist framework. And there's arguments against what I'm saying, and I've read them in journals and stuff like that, but I, I really do fundamentally believe the reason why Luther was first able to make the shift from, like, my conscience convicts me of this one truth, and I'm, I'm sorry, but here I stand. I can't repent, right? So he's relying on an individual conscience. But then to go, so what he shifted it was, well, okay, the Pope is wrong, but it's okay, we have the councils, the great ecumenical councils. And then it's like, well, all the ecumenical councils didn't agree with you, Luther. And he's like, well, the councils are wrong. And I have a great quote from him that says, we don't like to admit it, we don't like to say that the church is in error, but when the church is against the word of God, we have to declare that the church is in error. And it's like, <clears throat> whose interpretation of the word of God? Again, it always comes back to this. Whose interpretation of the word of God does do, are we relying on? Because every time I look at sacred scripture and say, scripture, tell me about the church, it says some pretty amazingly huge things about the church. Now, the reason why I say my problem with the, you know, what we're talking about is that it comes from that ethos is because radical individualism is incompatible with the scriptural witness. The scripture preaches a kingdom. Jesus did not start a religion, okay? It became a religion in the classification of world religions and all that stuff. Jesus is not the founder of a world religion. He started the church, he preached the kingdom, which is necessarily not individualistic and privatized. It's necessarily, drum roll please, a community, a.k.a. the body of Christ, where we are all individually members of the body, but also members of one another. And it drives me insane when I see Catholics who adopt, full, because it drives me insane because I did this 100%. But I was listening to a priest talk, and I'm listening to him, and I'm like, do you not hear? Do you not hear that this is so radically individualist? Like, there are Protestant, um, mostly in the Reformed Church, who hate the whole pray the sinner's prayer and get saved. And they hate it because they say that's not what a disciple does. Show me one place in the New Testament where all they did was pray this prayer, got saved, and then everything's fine. No, they have to convert and live the life of a disciple. And I, I keep coming back to this notion where I'm finding people are borrowing things from outside the Catholic sacred tradition, our holy tradition and scripture, and they don't know why it's wrong. But, you know, God bless them. They're trying to do the right thing, but they are bringing in alien elements into the church. There is an ecclesial dimension of faith. There's an ecclesial dimension of faith, right? And Father Harrison had wrote something great. He said, uh, "What was it? it's the faith of the church that we give to individual members. And you're like, 
I mean, that that's the mysterion of the church. That's the great mystery of, of Holy Mother Church that we need to rekindle. And by being separated from them, by just borrowing this like radical individualism and sewing it on to Catholicism, which has always been a kingdom, a corporate understanding, it's just it never will work unless your parish radically departs from uh, the church, right? So to me, now you might disagree out there in La La Land, but to me, Church in the Nativity has searched for profitable models of the church growth movement, which is a specific movement within Protestant evangelical Christianity that it borrowed them so whole cloth that I, I, I mean, it is barely a Catholic parish. Thought. Hmm. hmm. Luke says, hmm. No, I'm thinking, I, I, sorry, I, I didn't know what you meant about Church of the... The rebuild church, the book from the rebuild. Oh, okay, sorry. And the matter, I I got okay, okay. I was like, the church, okay. I was, I was so confused. Oh, gotcha. Um, okay. Uh, so that that totally, I that when you when you said that, I was like, wait, what? Then I kind of like missed some of some of the other things. I'll edit all that out, and we'll just pretend like you know what church I'm talking about. Yeah. Um. No, I, I, I'm. Uh, so again, um, there's this great Catholic stuff you should know episode where they talked about, uh, church at the, we talked about as like Mary, as mother of the church saying that when you, like you cannot, um, divorce Mary and the church cause they both bring Christ to uh, the world. And I think often we think that means preaching. And of course that's true. Like, like, um, hundred percent. There's also the sacramentality aspect of that, where we like, like these things that we experience are real, concrete things. Like, why do we baptize? It really means almost something. Like, it can't be. It's not. Just, it's not. Just, it's not just this thing that we do. And I think often when, like, I'm like, why I brought up the whole like Hans Rebalvestar thing on like vows. He, he has this line, and I'm going to paraphrase here, as they always do. Where he says, like that's like to, to like uh, to take to uh, uh, take a vow is one of the most profound forms of uh, um, one of the most profound acts of love that one can do. And I think we've totally lost all of that. And I and my issue with like and, my, and I think that's where I get really I'm nervous about the about some of the missionary t- discipleship movement is because it seems to. be be it like or that this stuff like you're saying with that church out uh that that's like a part of like rebuild that it's more about just like me and christ and my own experience as opposed to drawing me out of myself to experience and really only make my faith concrete and experience these concrete real ways yeah um yeah so lots of um, I, I i just uh yeah this and it ties into this whole other thing that I don't know if I really want to go into yet because it's a whole other can of worms. Uh, I just, yeah. So, ooh, lots of stuff here. Can I ask it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I just found think... out my daughter has to get two staples. Oh, gosh. No. Oh, I'm sorry, man. What's going on? Okay, what are you going to say? Take my mind off this Do you crap. need to go? No, okay. no. She's still up at the hospital. Okay. 
do you think that if you were to view Aquinas's work as a project, do you think it's failed? No, not even a little bit. <laughs> All right. Aquinas's work as a pro- what do you mean by as a project? Like I I I don't I really don't know. This is just some interesting conversations that I've been having. This is purely like speculative, and I have no education back on the back up any of this. I just think it's I just think it's like fascinating that if you look at Aquinas, he takes everything and he relates it back to. And I think I'm so afraid to talk about this. Uh, yeah, gonna, like, I, if you say takes everything and relates it back to Aristotle, I'm going to punch <laughs> you in the dick. Gosh, are you going to say that? Is that what you're going to say? Yes, and then and I <laughs> just okay, fine. That's I, I don't want to go. No, no, no. Uh, let's go too deep into let's this. Go, no, because no, because I don't want to hear you talk for thirty minutes. I on won't. This. How about this? I promise I'll talk for no more than three minutes. One, two, three. I'll even set a okay. timer. And that with him, it's about trying to fit the faith into Aristotle, and like and like, basically, like Ratzinger is the antidote to Aquinas because with Ratzinger, it's all about um, like. The, like logos and it's because of a not not necessarily because of aquinas but the church but because of his followers and certain things the church has gotten so it's like that's what led to the split between grace and nature within our culture is that we tr- we really tried to make god fit into um instead of encountering him and being like like ultimately about him is about trying to fit christ into um Aristotelian categories. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, okay. So prove to me that I'm wrong. Okay, (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm totally just kidding. Well, number one, Saint Thomas Aquinas was a an Augustinian. Okay, Colonel. If you understand Saint Thomas Aquinas as anything other than an Augustinian who is trying to merge Aristotle with Augustine, if you understand him in any other ways, you're wrong. Okay. Aquinas is, uh, St. Augustine is huge in the thought of Thomas Aquinas, as is Pseudo-Dionysus the Oropagite, another uh, Neoplatonic, um, you know, kind of voice that ricocheted down through the Middle Ages. We also have Rabbi Maimonides and even Rashad and those people who are Jewish and Arab commentators that came in with Aristotle that Aquinas learned from, so that brings in the more Aristotelian side. But Thomas Aquinas is a part of a methodology called scholasticism. And that, less than him, more so the methodology of scholasticism. Scholasticism had its time and place in the church, and it could give profound answers to questions that the medieval mind was desperately searching for. But what ended up happening is as people got, as the tradition continued into the 14, 15, and 1600s, people depended less on Thomas and more on the commentators on Thomas, especially up to the 15 and 1600s. Then after that, it was almost exclusively the commentators on Thomas and not Thomas. So when the church talks about in the 20th century and 21st century, we need to ressourcement, we need to return to these sources, that means scripture It means the church fathers, and it means reading Aquinas for himself. And so that is the rise of the new, what we call neo-scholasticism that's kind of happening today, is looking at Thomas with fresh eyes 
not with the baggage of his later commentators. And so to say that Aquinas has failed, I think is an absolute, absolute, absolute travesty. To say that Aquinas is not the end-all and be-all is 100% true. He's not. But, um, yeah. yeah. And I'm not saying that I agree with that. These are just ideas that I'm hearing, and I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. Well, the, the, so if you, if you approach everything through Aristotelian categories and uh, Aristotelian thought and metaphysics, you can get hung up on only framing the world through Aristotle. Um, I will say St. Thomas Aquinas gets kind of overwhelmed by Aristotle in, in certain areas that I do think eclipses his thought in the Summa Theologica, especially on uh, the, in the area on morality. I think he doesn't do justice to humility um, and instead kind of leans on the Aristotelian breakdown of virtues rather than on what we've learned in Christ Jesus about humility as probably, you know, humility and love being the two prime virtues. Um, love being the form of all virtues. Yes, yes, Matt Brad, I know. Um, <laughs> but I would I'm just so say, worried he's gonna, be, he's gonna like hate me for like asking <laughs> this stuff. No, because when you read Augustine, it's alive. When you read Aquinas, it's bright and clear. But it is as it's like marble, right? It is it is something etched in stone. Uh, I was listening to his Dr. Peter Kraft interview, and it's like Augustine is is fiery, but Aquinas is is pure light and no heat. You rarely get a sense of passion within the man, right? And so my hope is, um, like, uh, Joseph Pieper, do you think he was a, a dead letter? Do you think Joseph Pieper committed uh, sawdust Thomism like von Balthasar says? There's no sawdust Thomism in Joseph Pieper. The problem is when you, get, when you just kind of regurgitate the scholastic model without doing what Joseph Pieper did, which is apply Thomas in new ways, like, yeah, and continue the Thomistic project, which Father Nicanor is doing, out at ThomisticEvolution.com, the Thomistic Institute, which is applying psychology and physics and philosophy and expanding the thought of Aquinas. Uh, I think think it's an impoverishment for our church to only regard Thomas and no one else. I think that is poverty. I also think it's a poverty to not know Aquinas. Uh, Pope Benedict knew Aquinas, but he was not a Thomist. He was not a scholastic. He was, he's Augustinian in his, especially his theology of history. But do you think that Catholic, um, uh, I have to be careful here, because uh, I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm, this, this is me just trying to get a better understanding of all of this. So please, everyone, don't think that I'm saying that, like, like he's not a, that he's bad. I'm just trying to, I feel so bad about this. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I'm so sorry, Matt. Um, okay. Um, do you think, I f- you think that the church is so Aquinas heavy that that has led to a lot of the problems that we currently experience? No, no. Like I think the exact basically the opposite. fact that now <laughs> I think the exact opposite. You do? Yeah, okay. I think I think the church is so uh, right now. I mean, honestly, the number one church, the number one problem of the church in America is not because they have really strong theology. It's because we've let psychology completely dilute theology. Mm, we don't, I mean, come mm-hmm. on. Like, when was the last time you heard robust theology? Well, is it, okay, I, I'm sorry. Let me try to rephrase this. Is it the emphasis, is it too much like philosophy in a sense that it's so 
divorced from an encounter with the living God. Okay, I, like, I like, see where you're going we think, with the Are logos. we too academic? Of, yeah, I see where you're going. Does that make sense? I, 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 yes and no, because what we mean when we say too academic, it's too divorced from real life. I mean, but Pope Benedict was extraordinarily academic. All he wanted to do was sit, lock him in a room and let him write his books. But at yeah, the yeah, same yeah. time, like Thomas was a preacher. Right? Thomas Thomas wandered the countryside. Thomas was involved in the great church events of his day. Thomas well, was okay, at the and- forefront at the rise of the mendicant orders. Like he was not absent. Like I think we have a caricature of Thomas as this guy hiding away, just reading Aristotle and saying, But I answer that. Now I I've will made you agree. so mad, haven't I? <laughs> what was that? I said, I've made you so mad. Not not mad, not mad because I know what you're saying. Like, if anyone's ever read the Summa, and then you say, uh, is this what the church's life should be? Oh, God, no. Right? Like, it, 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 is, it is a difficult read because it is so clear and radically simple. By radically simple, I mean, like, precise. Let me, not simple, but it's precise. But... It is. It uses the Aristotelian language of Aristotelian metaphysics, and people don't do metaphysics, and people don't think in metaphysical ways. And so, when truths are present presented with these metaphysical assumptions or within that framework, it pushes. It can very easily push people away. So that's why you have the rise of a whole philosophy called phenomenology. And uh, phenomenology is like, all right, we're just going to bracket the whole metaphysical question and forget about it. And we're just going to focus on the phenomenon of the thing in front of us. And there's a lot of traction you can get from that. And I think altogether it's, it's a decent system but not sufficient. I, I don't think it's sufficient. I don't think it's sufficient because um, this is the thing that I think people who are critical of Thomas need to understand. Thomas was the antidote to everything wrong with Augustine. Mm. And what was wrong with Augustine... That's interesting. Yeah, and th- this is it. If you view Thomas as an Augustinian, but with Aristotle, think about Plato, the forms, the divine ideas, the real being exists in the mind of God for all eternity. Eternity. All we have here on earth is becoming and decay and disaster. And mm-hmm. Aristotle said, no, 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 the forms aren't these divine things in the mind of God. I mean, maybe they are, but they are also the thing in the individual thing that we encounter, encounter in the physical substance in front of us the thisness of the world and so you don't get a sense of this until you read gk chesterton's the dumb ox and dr peter kraft said this uh joseph peeper kind of waded into this and was like i don't know if i totally agree with this in his own book on thomas but the radical nature of what thomas did was he gave us the world back that augustine basically or, or maybe we can say Augustinians have a tendency to say fire has no value in itself, but only in insofar as it's a symbol of the Holy Spirit, right? It was so like otherworldly minded because he's a Platonist that because Aquinas was an Aristotelian, he was this worldly minded, at least in terms of his first steps into philosophy, in terms of his theology, it carried him from this world into seeing the divine. So he has a sacramental worldview, not what would be an anti-physical or anti-creation worldview that, oh, I don't know, maybe a former Gnostic heretic like Augustine used to be could have brought into his, into his theology. 
I really don't want Mad Frad to think that I'm an anti Aquinas. No, 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 no. But it is, it is, it is a real thing. Like there is this thing called sawdust Thomism. It's a quote from von, von Balthasar about being in the what, like early nineteen teens or eighteen, you know, or nineteen, yeah, nineteen twenties, and mm-hmm. going to these classes, and it's just memorizing of these huge proofs and propositions, and there, there's a sterility that can creep into scholasticism yeah. totally totally and and like and like i don't know if like a lot of people that i and i've like i feel so yeah sorry i feel really bad about this now oh i wouldn't hey update um, update my daughter has a yeah. popsicle two staples in her head she's there smiling and now she, there we go she hugged the doctor as he left the room so why oh, don't you tell me how much you hate aquinas now that i said that old girl old gourmet charm right there <laughs> yeah no kidding uh, you put two staples in my head let me give you a hug <laughs> oh dude okay good that uh that uh, makes me happy to hear no i i, I don't it's it's more because i because like i think also like i need to clarify that when i talk about the aquinas project i'm more referring to like his like followers and like the the um, development of, of that over the past of uh, 700 years so not like not like not like the man and his works but yeah. like the fallout from all of them. yeah i mean like, i the, i i love i love Here's the deal. You need, you need clear thinking. I think the problem today is we have muddled emotional thinking, and I'm not for well, ear. Ra- I'm not for unemotional thinking, right? Yeah. But I, I think there is, there will always be a place for someone like Aquinas. But don't forget, the Scholastic Project was a project of categorizing, because the ancient world started. The ancient world fell when Augustine was writing um right so rome was sacked the eternal rome fell everyone thought it was the end of the freaking world then about a hundred years later the eastern holy roman emperor shut down plato's academy and at that same year um saint benedict built or went into his first monastery started his first monastery or wrote the rule or whatever the the monastery what a crazy ass year what a crazy I, yeah it was ass like year. it was like 529 so it's like boom this is the end of the old world this is the beginning of the middle ages this is when those who grew up in the um, imperium romanum like augustine grew up in the imperium romanum that's when that ended and that's when the middle ages began and uh and that's joseph peeper in his uh, I think it was his scholasticism book. It, Joseph Pieper is so great because he writes short books and they're powerful. So you can't, you can't pick them up and be like, all right, I don't think I have time to read this. You're going to pick it up and be like, holy crap, I'm going to read this all right now. Um, but when he talks about that, what they did, so much of the work of the monks was categorizing and saving and preserving the ancient ancient literature. So when you look at Thomas Aquinas, he wrote this beautiful book called The Chain of Gold. And all it is is commentary on the four Gospels line by line with quotes from the church fathers because Aquinas had memorized most of the writings of most of the church fathers. So when you hear that, you realize Thomas Jeez. isn't just shoving Aristotle into Christianity. He he agrees that Aristotle, and Aristotle is better than Plato. <laughs> Take that, suck but he <laughs> he gives you the thisness of this world again. 
And uh, Joseph Pieper would talk about what's called the Hohenstaufen spirit, which was Aquinas's like uncle or great uncle or you know cousin twice removed. But the Hohenstaufen spirit was the um, Holy Roman Emperor, right, in the imperial court at the time. And it was this notion of like, let's get back to loving the world again. Why did we? Why did we go through this period where we just hate the world and hate the body and hate everything? And they talk about how it's this element of though Aquinas and Aristotelian was kind of. It's it's a happy coincidence that there's a cultural movement to look at the beauty of dappled things and appreciate them in and of themselves, and Aquinas getting Aristotle and wrestling him to the ground into the church. I do think there there is introduced some extremes in the actual writings of the actual man, Thomas Aquinas, that go too far Aristotle. But I think by and large, he rejects Aristotle wherever there is a conflict with Christianity. Hmm. Hence, one of his famous prayers is, is this a thing that converted McIntyre from an Augustinian theologian who liked uh, Aristotle and Aquinas as his greatest commentator philosophically? to becoming a Thomist, both philosophy and theologically, um, was he was reading a prayer of St. Thomas Aquinas where he said, Lord, help me to be generous. Give me the grace uh, or the, the virtue of liberality to give to those who are in need when I'm in excess or whatever. And he said, and give me the gift of humility to ask of those who have when I am in need. He said, Aristotle would never have written those words. In a million years, he never would have written those words. He said, that's when I saw the profound altering project of Aquinas when he drew, when the Augustinian Aquinas drew in Aristotle into the Christian project. My cat's breath smells like cat food. <laughs> My cat's breath. <laughs> hey, can I just tell you one funny story that's totally unrelated, but not to Simpsons? Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah. we brought out this uh, Jimena, who's the girl that had the miracle that uh, saved her life, so letting Jose Sanchez del Rio two years ago be canonized a saint. So we had that little girl and her mom and her grandmom at our church. And uh, and then we had a whole bunch of teens from Mexico that go around uh, Mexico putting on, like, talks and conferences and retreats on Jose Lito and all this stuff. It was really funny, really funny. At the very end, I'm at, uh, I'm at where am I, California Pizza Kitchen, and we're having a dinner with everyone there. And I'm going to go, and this girl, she's in high school. She came up from Mexico, and she wants to be a speaker. She And she's actually really talented. And uh, she said, I want to be a speaker like you, because they heard me give a talk. And she goes, I want to be a speaker like you. You're so passionate, and you got all this stuff, and you make all these connections, and you never even look at notes. She goes, uh, so she had said that to me a couple of days before. So then this time she goes, uh, when I grow up, I want to be just like you. And I looked at her, and I go, better start eating, kid. <laughs> that's not what i meant <laughs> that's not what i meant oh i get uh, it <laughs> that's so oh uh, um, luke where i really I, yeah i really don't want you to think that i'm trying to be like aquinas is wrong look i don't i don't at all i know i just feel so bad because i'm just trying to uh i i do think there is a thing to this idea of like has the oh and i know we're way over time yep has the over at times i get concerned that we're too much on there's too much aristotle and not enough like logos okay you know what i mean like 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 i don't know a better way to put that like but there's too much emphasis on like the truth of the world as opposed to an encounter with god and i know that like some people like it's like 
how is it that we have people at Catholic schools who can study, who can like study and teach like theology, but don't believe in God? Yeah, and I'm I'm not saying that that's from Aquinas, but I'm wondering like, can you draw a line between that and where we are right now? Uh, I would say you could through a man named William of Ockham. Mm, okay. Okay. Occam's razor. I kind of get that. All that yeah, nominalism. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. honestly, if, if you want to know people who could study the Bible and be an atheist or study theology and be an atheist, that is the inheritance of the Enlightenment, right? I'm disinterested, a dispassionate observer who is glancing at the text, but it's a religious text that presupposes religious faith. That's where Pope Benedict shines more than anything else. The whole yep, hermeneutic of continuity, hermeneutic of faith. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, 100%. Um, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, hey, everyone, you can find us at the Luke V. You can find me at Lay Evangelist once a twice a week. I'm on Twitter, maybe once. Or you could find us at uh, on Facebook.com slash Catching Foxes Podcast, all one word. And we put all of our episodes and all that good stuff up there. Right. Uh, you can find us there. At, on, but but if you want to be a part of the crew, if you want to support us, um, one of the things that we're doing on Patreon is we are doubling down. I know Patreon supporters. I know. We are finally giving you the blessing that you deserve. Um, and your stickers are in the mail. Actually, I am holding. And I'm holding. Can you hear <laughs> it? Can you hear it? <laughs> you hear that? That sounds good. That's hundreds of stickers in envelopes with stamps, but no addresses. I am so lazy. Um <laughs> But we are going to um, we're going to do so much more on Patreon. And here's the deal: the reason why Patreon is good is because people hate Facebook, and I am very weary of Facebook right now. I think I think they are a duplicitous organization. And I'm tired of it all. Yeah, and I would love to delete the Facebook app off of my iPhone, but I can't do that because I can't stop loving you, good people. But if we just all switch to Patreon, hey, hey. I wish I could quit you. I wish I could quit you. Um, so if you donate $10 or more, you get a sticker. You get access to the extra shows. If you donate $1 or $2 more, sometimes I just put posts up there just for Patreon supporters, regardless of how much they give. So uh, we are trying to do more stuff and interact more with the people that are on there. Um, because you give us money, you deserve a little bit of Gomer love. Mm-hmm. All right, my kids are on her way home from the hospital. Love you guys. Oh, good. Wow, this Good. this whole show has kept me from losing my damn mind. Good. Thank you. That is actually um, what I told like Aaron. I was like, I bet you that he just needs me to. He he just um, needs his Luke right now. He just, he I just Luke. I need to curl up with my podcast wife and just be embraced by the bosom of your love. Mm-hmm. And what a big bosom it is! Better start eating. <laughs> All right, bye, man. I'm hanging All up. Right, and I'm gonna save and then hang up. Three, right, two, one. Two, one.